Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today's guest, Suzanne German, who is the SVP of Marketing at Security Scorecard, is really going to motivate you. Her story is one of overcoming fear, taking a leap, and as she put it, not being afraid to fail. Now, if you look at Suzanne's background, you'll say, this is someone pretty conservative, someone who spent 10 years in a company called Digital Guardian, where she speaks very favorably of the experience, but she talks about not being willing to reinvent herself for that next stage of her career. She finally did so a couple of years ago, and the story that continues on in terms of her interview process, the way she positioned herself in that new company to be a leader and be chosen to be the one reporting into the CEO, overseeing all of marketing, is one that is going to question, have you questioned, have you taken the right leap yourself? This is a great episode, especially as we get into some of the strategies that she's taken and ones where she's had to adapt. Now, a big part of Suzanne's career is field marketing. We're in a world today where field marketing may not be an option for any of us. So how do we adapt? How do we have the right programs in place? And there's no question as you hear her talk about the opportunity they focused on to create a customer advocacy portal has really allowed them to differentiate themselves from their competitors. Today's gonna be a great one. Get ready to be motivated. Here's Suzanne Gerb. Suzanne, thank you so much for finding time to chat with us today. I'm really excited to hear about your story and how you took this leap into the role you're in today. Tell us about how you found this opportunity of Security Scorecard. Thanks, Randy. Uh, It is a pleasure to be here and to speak with you about uh, both my journey and the customer and prospect journeys. So to start with me and my personal journey, I was at a security company for 10 years, which didn't really seem to me like a long time, given that I was able to grow my career there. And uh, we had not only a brand name change, but senior management change three times while I was there. So there was certainly a lot going on uh, throughout that 10 years that made it feel almost as if it was different jobs. However, uh, at the 10-year mark, um, I started to assess where I was at, and I had somewhat hit my ceiling unless I wanted to push the current CMO out of her position, which I certainly didn't want to do, um, but I knew that I needed something in between to continue to grow. So um, I took a unique opportunity to leave the organization despite the fact that I didn't have a job in hand. And I took some time to really understand what it was that I was looking for in my next venture and really create the brand of Suzanne Gurman. Who was I? How did I want to display myself um, to potential job opportunities? And so I worked for about a month on creating infographic resume, um, an online portfolio. I took some additional classes just to round out some areas that I hadn't been diving into um, as frequently on a day-to-day point in my last job so that I could be, uh, for the first time in 10 years, good at interviewing. 
it worked out in spades, thankfully. Um, you know, when I applied for the vice president of revenue marketing at Security Scorecard, the interviewing process took less than two weeks and ended up negotiating a salary that was 100% more than what I was making prior. Wow, so, that is amazing. It is amazing. A little bit of prep work and, um, you know, making sure that you position yourself well and sell yourself well um, is the first step of being a great marketer, I think. That's great advice. Couple of, a couple of points that you hit on there I find really interesting. I mean, you know, first, let's glaze over the reality that 10 years today in any organization is, is actually quite rare, especially in marketing, where from a marketing leadership perspective, 10 years, somewhere around two years for the average CMO marketing leader. What gave you confidence for those 10 years to continue there? And then as you put it, maybe you can dig a little bit more on how did you know you were then ready for a change? Like, was it that 10 year mark and realizing it was 10 years or was it, you know, the desire for more ownership, more accountability? Yeah. Great question. So 10 years is a long time. And I think there were a couple of things that kept me there. Uh, one was definitely I was able to grow my career. So I didn't feel stagnant, uh, not up until the end. Um, however, I could have had that growth and maybe even additional growth elsewhere. But some of the things that kept me there was the great culture. The people that I worked with were extremely smart and um, everybody was going towards a really great goal. I believed in the product. I believed in what this solution could provide our customers and felt as though my customers were silent heroes. And so I was very happy to stand by them and help them be successful in that capacity. Uh, at the 10 year mark, um, I was starting to get special projects to keep myself occupied at a level that was interesting and just realized that I had outgrown the company and the pace in, it, in which it was growing. So I've never been one to um, be complacent. I've always tried to strive to be the best that I can be. So looking at the hard truth, I said that I needed to do something drastic and just go for it because uh, at that point, I also identified that I had, um, had always been afraid to fail. And that sort of tells you that um, you haven't pushed yourself to the greatest capacity that, that you have. So um, I really wanted to test that. How far could I take this until I failed so that I could really be to the full potential that I could? I want to go a little deeper on, on this part where you reinvented yourself. You rebranded yourself, I think was the, the way you framed it. And maybe you can give us some of the, the high level characteristics you tried to put on that brand as you went into these interviews. Because I, I think sometimes, especially those listening in on this podcast may be in a similar situation where they're, they're scared to make that next step, or perhaps they are, are very comfortable or worried that they're, they're just going to be perceived for the, what they did in their long tenure versus where they may go next. What were maybe three areas you were trying to highlight in your accomplishments? Absolutely. So in having the luxury of going through a brand refresh at that organization, I understand the power of both the message and the visual. So first and foremost, I would say don't take those two things for granted. As a marketer, um, you need to understand the 360 degree component 
of both the look and feel and the message in which you're perceiving or, or you're extending. And so in my example, I came up the ranks by way of field marketing and channel marketing. And that's not typically an area that you see go straight for a CMO role. So when you're talking about the messaging perspective, you know, another point to this is you need to speak the language of your audience. So I can't talk in terms of events, but I need to talk in terms of revenue and how it impacts the greater business. If you can speak the language and the pain points of your audience, then they'll respect you and understand that you can own the responsibility of taking whatever that position is and running with it successfully. That's great advice. And, you know, you shared a little bit with me about what happened when you joined Security Scorecard, where you were brought in, I guess, as the new number two with the desire to find the number one that didn't go as planned. Maybe you could speak to, to that story, because I think we, we can all learn a lot from it. But also, what was different about your new brand that allowed you to go and grab this leadership opportunity reporting to the CEO? Sure. So when I applied for the VP of Revenue Marketing at Security Scorecard, I definitely felt as though it was a big but obtainable leap for me from where I was to where I was looking to go. One of the things that attracted me to this role is that it really held my feet to the fire and I was responsible for driving 50% of the organization's revenue. And so that alone seemed a bit of a, of a challenge um, that I could take and, and run with versus taking the entire organ marketing organization and running with it. So the head of marketing position was open at the same time mine was, but I went for mine, um, hoping that um, we would find someone who had previous experience in being the leader of marketing that would further help us have uh, confidence that we're going to get the hyper growth that we were looking to achieve. And so we went through an extensive 10 month search to try to find someone to lead this organization. And I, I think I interviewed over 55 CMOs. And so we finally came to an agreement on a gentleman who was very talented, uh, have a lot of respect for him, um, but it just wasn't a culture fit. Um, and that was pretty apparent after uh, uh, only a few months. So understanding that, you know, 10 months plus, you know, a couple of months of someone who we thought after a 10 month search would be successful didn't happen. Um, it was the brand, I guess, that I laid while I was in the organization of being a good leader, being a good partner to um, all of my counterparts that really sealed the deal in getting this next role. So it's it's a great story, and, and it, I called it a leap at the beginning. But it, you know, it obviously took you time to get to that point where you're ready to make that leap and, and assert yourself in these ways. If you could go back in your career or advise someone who's perhaps not having the confidence to make that leap the way you you have done here, what advice would you give to someone earlier? Like, what do they have to do to to make that jump? earlier in their career? Yeah, my advice, both to my earlier self and to anyone else, is do not be afraid to fail. Um, I had mentioned this earlier, but it, I mean, I really stand by it. Uh, 
I was afraid to fail. Therefore, I never was able to actualize my full potential. And because of that, um, in my career, I lost revenue and I lost opportunities to um, accelerate my opportunity to earn. Go on beyond your comfort zone. Um, understand what your limitations are. And then once you understand what they are, find people, skills, and resources that help complement what um, those, your good qualities, but maybe some of those areas where uh, they're not so good. And surrounding yourself with people who can help fill those gaps is going to make the difference and all the difference in the world in success. That's great. So motivating, Suzanne. I, I'm, I'm very intrigued to get to our second segment here. Before we do that, we're going to take a short break on the marketer's journey. We'll be back with Suzanne German right after this. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. got to give Suzanne a ton of credit for making this leap. It's not an easy decision to leave a career, one that's steady, one that pays relatively well, and put everything at risk to go change on the fly. As she put it, she had some fear. She had overcome that, though, to see the potential that lay ahead for her. I remember myself going through this at earlier points in my career. I had a couple of different longer-term engagements where they were comfortable and I could have earned decent money but I wasn't passionate about the role, I wasn't passionate about the company. I personally wanted to get into tech. I wanted to jump into that world. And for me, I recall having to overcome not having some of the skills and how I would fill that. I did that a lot by reading, by repositioning myself, very similar to how you hear Suzanne talk about rebranding herself. And I think that opportunity to go out there and put together something polished is something that we don't think about enough. I remember my co-founder at Uberflip could tell you that I actually created a video of myself, where it was a video resume, threw it up on YouTube, shared it with people, it landed with him, and that's what caught his attention that I could make that jump into tech. I think the same thing with everyone we need to do. We need to think about how to reposition ourselves. And I love the way Suzanne talks about rebranding herself. We are marketers, and after all, if we can't position ourselves for an opportunity we're passionate about, then very likely we're not well suited from a product market fit in the end. So Suzanne, we just hit on your career and one of the elements in there was the importance of field marketing, at least defining who you are today. The reality nowadays in a stay at home, no travel world is field marketing probably isn't a tool in your belt the way it was years ago. How are you supplementing that gap? It's a really great question. Uh, so field marketing 
has a reputation that it's all around live events. And for the most part, at least I can speak in the security industry, um, that's pretty true. However, account-based marketing, especially if you do it on a regional basis, supporting individual sales reps, if they're aligned to a geography, uh, falls in line with that as well. So, you know, to compensate for the live event aspect, uh, you have to do a replacement of the leads and attention that you get from those, given the fact that nobody's meeting in person. There's more of a challenge to that than just a one-to-one -one replacement because the conversion rates for live events typically are higher than that of online events. If you think about online events, you don't necessarily capture the attention of a customer in the same way that you would if you were in a physical room together. So you have to take a one to three model versus a one to one model. So there's a lot more effort and energy until you get down some of these account-based marketing programs that can help convert higher uh, than your typical live events would. And that's really a journey um, if it's not a mature part of your marketing output to understand, okay, what is the baseline that you're going to get from these live events? And then how can you nurture it such that it's more of a personal experience and you can get more of a return on that investment than you would prior? Gotcha. Yeah, that it's definitely a challenge. And one I, I, I've thought about, but not necessarily thought about the, the rate at which I have to increase virtual events or my desire to, because virtual events, I think we're all getting sick of. You know, we're on Zoom all day. The idea of getting on another screen share where I got to show my face and focus on the screen all day is overwhelming. I'm wondering any other ways that you filled the gap beyond you know, a pure virtual event um, that you can maybe share and, and walk us through as part of your strategy. Absolutely. So you're 100% right, Randy, and that uh, this red ocean continues to just get redder. Uh, the return on investment for virtual events over the past six months seems to be declining as a whole simply because of, like you said, it's, it's very much saturated. So there are a lot of different things that you can do to differentiate yourself, um, both online and beyond. So I'll start with uh, overall Zoom fatigue. One of the programs that Security Scorecard has offered is... Uh, we have a connection with some pretty good comedians that have been on um, Comedy Central, who are mainstays in New York's comedy circuit. And we simply host uh, every now and again comedy hours for anyone and everyone who simply just wants to have an hour of laughter that they couldn't necessarily get otherwise because it's a pandemic. So That's there's great. one, there's, yeah, and we call it security is no joke. So, um, <laughs> yes, thank you. So we have that program that's really just another touch, another way to humanize and, and, and get the ability to have brand recognition um, amongst the masses. But moreover, um, be it serendipitous or not, uh, the next phase of what we were looking to embark on in 2020 was creating an online customer community. And that launched on April 2nd. And it was a huge need, not only because we are in a global public 
health crisis, but just my industry as a whole uh, didn't have a lot of means to connect uh, on the use cases that Security Scorecard offers um, solutions for our audience. So in a very short period of time, um, we are going on six months, our adoption of that community is upwards of 80%. We have over a thousand users in six months where we have, you know, roughly a thousand paid customers. You know, we have several obviously from a couple of companies that double over, so it's not a one-to-one model, but we certainly have a a great adoption. Um, That's amazing. I'm curious. I mean, 80% adoption seems quite high. I don't have a ton of experience launching these programs myself, but, you know, in the experience that we've had, it's it's hard to find those who are going to join these networks and stay connected to them beyond joining and signing up. What is the draw that you're establishing for someone to want to be part of this other than comedic jokes, perhaps? Yeah, the benefit of being on the community is threefold, I would say a a top three. So number one, um, it extends your community beyond your your local region to folks that are also in your particular industry or is hosting your, um, you know, particular company size. You know, you can find those like-minded people and connect with them online to get those uh, answers to your questions. Um, It's also a knowledge base for our customers where they can get all different types of information to help them with their day-to-day and their strategy. And then last but not least, you know, our onboarding of our customers, uh, we'd like to call it white glove. It's one of the differentiators for us truly is our customer success team and how it's brought on. We create more of an almost uh, family type of a an environment where we're very close with our customers, um, and so to extend that beyond that to to have this new forum to have that type of an experience, I think, was an added value to our customers. That's great, and I'm just curious from the tech perspective: is this something you built yourself? Is is there a platform that gives those different elements for someone to log into? Yeah, am I allowed to name drop on uh, marketing technology? Yeah, if we don't like the company, we'll always edit them out here. <laughs> oh, no, no, absolutely. I, I am more than happy to. So uh, after a, an RFI process, we uh, decided on Influitive, uh, which gotcha. also is a Canadian company. They are, they are. They are, um, and they're fantastic. Um, and they had a gamification component that we knew that our audience would like in addition to some other things that, um, you know, that, that spoke to the needs that we thought that our, our community would take advantage of. That's great. That's great. Good for them. Yeah. They're, they're just down the road from us. Uh, well, these days everyone's down the road cause we're all online in this, in this modern world. Uh, some really great advice that you've, uh, given to us here, Suzanne, we're going to get you to stick around for one more little bit where we get to know you behind the scenes right back after a short break here on the marketer's journey. One of the areas that Suzanne hits on is the reality that field marketing events or any conference we used to attend or sponsor isn't on the table anymore. This is something that a lot of marketers have realized in the last while as the pandemic hit, the need to adjust how we go to market. I know on my team in the past, any lead, whether it's very high level, whether it's someone who's ready for a demo, 
the ones coming out of an event, that's who every sales rep wants to talk to. So the question is, what's the modern version of that? How do we adapt to create those same qualified leads? And more than ever now, Suzanne hits on some of the ideas that we've got to do, which are around creating these intimate experiences with our customers, with buyers. She's done a great job as she outlines on this idea of creating a customer advocacy group. Now, there's other things that we need to do to focus. I agree with her that Zoom is overkill. We can't keep having more Zoom meetings. We're all Zoomed out. Zoom is great, but we all have Zoom fatigue, as she calls it. More so, where we have to turn our attention is to a couple of different strategies. One for my team, without a doubt, is thinking about the content that they engage with across that journey. That content they engage with is no different than the content they may attend at a conference or event. We need to find ways, though, to make that easy to consume easy to digest, help them understand trends that are going on in their sectors, in their industries. If we can make some of these shifts to make content and ultimately use that content to get you back to salespeople, at which point we have to rock that demo. Rock that demo to a whole new level, thinking about the way we interact, the way we get to show face-to-face -face interaction, the way we get to follow up with things that we can give to someone as though they were at our booth to walk away. We've got to make this adjustment now more than ever to continue to deliver those qualified leads that sales are dying to get their hands on. All right, Suzanne, we've unpacked your career and the leap that we've talked about that you took. Uh, I know you had a three month break in there to re-envision your brand and hopefully you took some time, but. How do you take time for yourself amid the grind, amid now even more so overseeing an entire marketing organization? Yeah, so twofold here. Number one, surround yourself with people that you trust. You need to volley and back and forth um, certain things when someone needs help, be there to help them, but know that when you need help and you need a break, um, that you can lean on them and rely on them as well. So it's very fluidive in nature. Everybody has their peak times and when there's, you know, they're overloaded and then your downtime. So, you know, have people surround yourself with people that are very fluid and you can help one another through those stressful times. So that would be one. Number two, um, I received great advice from another well-known CMO, uh, Vasu Jakal, who formerly CMO of FireEye, now uh, CMO at uh, Microsoft, guided me to lean into my strengths and leaning into your strengths and finding people that can help fill the areas that aren't your strengths really does help um, with work-life balance. You know, one of the things that I love to do is continuously learn about business um, and then bringing really big business ideas to um, organizations. So my downtime is a benefit to the organization and myself, but is also considered my downtime. So I like to read a lot of business books. So if you can find something that kills two birds with one stone, it doesn't feel like it's work, but it's actually helping you in the long run. So hopefully you love what you do. You can find those areas that you can lean into that can not only help you, but not feel so much like it's strained, but it's, it's helping you uh, get that fuel back that you need. Gotcha. And, and you've already given us so much today, but give me one of the books, maybe one of the last five that stood out and, and you've been able to bring back to your team. 
So um, it's literally on my desk as we speak, and it has tabs in it because I refer back to it so often. The name of the book is called Three Hag Way, and it's by Shannon Burns Susco. And it's really about identifying white space for the organization and then leaning in with a 36-month plan on how you're going to achieve your goals. So it's really big picture, but it really gives you frameworks to get down to the tactical so that you can have this very clear vision of where you are, but where you need to go. That's amazing. And a 36-month plan is going to motivate people to buy into the company for the long run and and good on you for for having that mindset for where you are and, and where the company's going. Suzanne, this has been great for everyone tuning in for the first time enjoying this. If you've enjoyed hearing Suzanne's story, check in. We've got so many other great marketing leaders as well who have shared their stories. Everyone's is a little different. And I think yours, as you listen to this, is, is one that's being shaped. Your journey is being shaped. But thank you for tuning in and listening. Until next time, big thanks to Suzanne. And we'll speak to you all soon. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 